0: Chapter 13 of With Cortez in Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. With Cortez in Mexico by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 13 The Massacre of Cholula. The Tlascalans had, from the moment when they admitted themselves beaten by the spaniards laid aside all hostility and had indeed accepted the alliance with enthusiasm they had a right to be proud of their own valor for they had resisted all the attempts of the great aztec monarchy to conquer them and had defeated with slaughter greatly superior forces and that a mere handful of white men should be able to withstand their attacks day after day, and to defeat their best and hardiest troops, led by generals who had hitherto been always successful, excited their surprise and admiration in the highest degree. They were not gods, they knew, for some had been killed in the conflict, but as men they seemed to them infinitely superior in strength and courage to any that they had before heard of and they were proud to enter into an alliance with such heroes moreover they saw they would now have an opportunity of turning the tables upon their enemies of the plains they did not believe for a moment that montezuma would admit the white men to his capital and in that case there would be great battles and perhaps much plunder to be gained and therefore when the spaniards were again ready to advance the whole fighting force of tlaxcala was placed at their disposal Cortes, however declined to take with him so large an army the appearance of such a force composed of the bitter foes of the aztecs would have combined against him the whole strength of that empire and would have destroyed any hope that might remain of peaceful arrangements moreover the difficulty of feeding so large a body of men would be great indeed and as his authority over them would be but feeble constant broils with the aztecs would be the inevitable result he therefore with many thanks declined the offer but said that he would gladly take with him a force of six thousand volunteers the first march was to be to cholula whose people had sent a warm invitation to cortez to visit them and montezuma by his last envoys also requested them to journey forward by way of that city the tlascalans had strongly urged him to refuse the invitation the cholulans were they said a treacherous people and not to be trusted they were bigoted beyond the people of other cities cholula being the holy city of anahuac it were here the god quetzalcoatl had remained for twenty years on his way down to the coast instructing the people in the arts of civilization here was the great temple of the god a pyramid whose base covered forty-four acres and whose height was a hundred and eighty feet the platform on its summit where the sacrifices took place being an acre in size cortez however decided upon visiting Cholula. He deemed the reports of the Tlascalans to be prejudiced, as there was a long-standing animosity between the two peoples, and he thought that, were he to avoid visiting this important town which lay almost on his road to Mexico, it might be set down by the Aztecs to distrust or fear. The departure from Tlaxcala was witnessed by the whole of the population of the state who assembled to bid the white men farewell and to wish them success upon their way? a day's march took them to within a mile or two of Cholula. Here they were met by many nobles from the city who urged them to enter it that evening. but Cortes, bearing in mind the warnings he had received and thinking it dangerous to enter the streets of an unknown and possibly hostile city after dark, declined to move forward until morning seeing the hostility and distrust excited in the minds of his visitors at the sight of the tlaxcalans in his camp he ordered his allies to remain in camp when he advanced in the morning and to join him only when he left the city on his way to mexico the spaniards as they entered cholula were greatly struck with the appearance of the city and its inhabitants it being a very much larger and more highly civilized place than any they had yet met with the buildings were large and handsome the streets wide the population very large and exhibiting in their dress every sign of wealth and luxury there was too a great variety among the population for as it was the sacred city of the empire people from all other parts were in the habit of making pilgrimages there and most of the towns had their own temples and establishments so numerous were the temples that fully two hundred towers could be counted rising above the city with the stupendous pyramid towering above them all the spaniards were quartered in the court of one of the temples and in the surrounding buildings as soon as they were established there the principal nobles of the town paid them visits of ceremony and presents of everything necessary for their comfort and accommodation and stores of provisions of all kinds poured in roger had in the line of march taken his place among the troops but cortez directed that he should at other times be near at hand to him as he alone of those in the army had any personal knowledge of the country they were to traverse and could give information as to the size of the towns the nature of the roads and the advantages which these offered respectively in the supply of provisions likely to be obtained the facilities for getting water etc cortez therefore father aquilar acting as interpreter enjoined him to ramble about the city releasing him from all guards and exercises now that you are dressed like the rest of us he said none will dream that you understand their language and as you pass along they will express freely before you the sentiments they may entertain of us i do not expect them to love us and doubtless though they may flatter us to our faces they curse us heartily behind our backs but we care nothing for their curses or their ill-will so long as they do not proceed to plots and conspiracies against us they seem courteous and friendly and i think that the tlascalans have spoken far too strongly against them nevertheless we will be on our guard. These men are not like our mountain friends who were rough fighters, but hardy and honest people. They are traders or nobles or priests, accustomed to let their faces hide their thoughts, but through you we may get nearer to them than we otherwise should do. But go not alone. One man can easily be jostled into one of the temples and made away with, without any being the wiser." i will choose two comrades for you men of discretion and courageous without being quarrelsome with them too you will ere long begin to recover your mother tongue which you will never do so long as you only talk these heathen languages with marina and father aquilar cortez struck the table with his hand and an attendant entered summon juan alganas and pedro de gasconda in a minute two men entered juan was a weather-beaten soldier whose face bore the marks of several deep scars and who had fought for spain on most of the battlefields of europe pedro was young enough to be his son juan had saved his life in a fight with the natives of cuba and since then they had been inseparable juan i have sent for you to ask you and pedro to take our new comrade into your party I know you are always together and that you are quiet and peaceable and not given either to quarrel in your cups or to spend your evenings in gambling and dicing he has as you know almost forgotten his own language and it will be for our advantage as well as his own that he should learn it as soon as possible for as he knows the country and people it is well that he should be able to communicate with the rest of us "'without having to hunt up an interpreter. "'But that is not the principal thing just at the present moment. "'We know not whether the people of this city mean treacherously towards us or not. "'They will not speak in the presence of Donna Marina or of the good father here, "'knowing that they are acquainted with the language. "'But as they will not imagine that this tall Spanish soldier can know aught of what they say, "'they will not mind speaking out their thoughts before him.' Therefore, while he is here, it is his duty to wander about the streets and learn what the people are saying and what they think of us. But here, as elsewhere, I have ordered that not less than three men shall go out together. I have chosen you to accompany him. You will be free from all other duty. That we will do, right willingly, Juan said. It is pleasanter to walk about the streets and look at these strange peoples than it is to be cooped up here. As to the other part of the business, we will do what we can towards teaching him Spanish. But as to being our comrade, that must depend upon himself. I like the young fellow's looks much. He looks honest and straightforward, though where he got that light wavy hair and that fair skin from, I can't guess. They are rare enough in Cadiz, where I heard one say that he came from. We don't know that he came from there, Juan.' he may have come from the mountains of biscaya where fair skins are commoner than they are in the south it is only that he described to us a port which must have been cadiz as the last thing he recollected in spain ah well his skin matters nothing the soldier said his face is an honest one and as to height and strength one could wish no better comrade he is young yet not more than nineteen or twenty i should guess but I will warrant that there is not a man in the expedition he could not put on his back if it came to a tussle. At any rate, we will try him. What do you say, Pedro? I like his looks, the young fellow said. At any rate, we are not like to quarrel with him. As to more than that, we can say better when we know more of each other. Father Aquilar, who had listened attentively to all that had been said, explained to Roger the purport of the conversation between cortez and the men when he had finished roger held out his hand to the two soldiers and gave them a hearty grasp expressive of his willingness to join in the arrangement that had been made he will do general juan said we will look after him never fear cortez gave orders that the three men were to be allowed to leave the quarters and go into the town at all times without further question And they at once started for a turn through the streets how are we to begin to teach this young chap to talk pedro it is out of the regular line of duty altogether pedro shook his head i don't know comrade i have heard women teaching their babies to talk but i should hardly think that would be the way with him no no that is quite different pedro you see the little ones have not got their tongues twisted rightly and they can't talk plain, do as much as they will. But this young fellow could say plain enough what we told him. The question is, what are we to tell him? Suppose I say to him, they are a curiously dressed lot of people here. Well, he might say it after me, but as he would not have an idea what we meant, I don't see that we should be getting any forwarder. Roger, however, had already gone through the work of learning the two native languages and knew how to begin. He touched Juan's sword and gave the Mexican word for it. "'What does he mean by that, Pedro?' Roger repeated the action. "'Perhaps he wants to know what you call your sword,' Pedro suggested. "'Perhaps it is that. I will try him anyhow. "'Spada!' Roger nodded and repeated the word after him and then touched his own helmet." this is what he means juan said with great satisfaction what he has got to do is to touch things and for us to tell him the names that is capital i had no idea teaching a language was such easy work however after a few more words had been said and a method established roger had no more questions his companions being now fully occupied in gazing at the houses the temples and the crowd in the streets while he himself was busy listening to the remarks of the people. It was curious to him to hear everyone around freely discussing them, assured that no word they said was understood. Had he been vain, he would have felt gratified at the favorable comments passed on his personal appearance by many of the women and girls, but he put them down entirely to the fact that he differed more from them than did the spaniards and it was simply the color of his hair and the fairness of his skin that seemed wonderful to the mexicans ah he heard one woman say to another i marked that tall soldier when they came into the town this morning they are all grand men and look wonderfully strong and brave with their arms and armor i know that such fighters as these were never heard of before for have they not few as they are beaten the tlascalans who as we all know are good fighters though they are little better than savages but as to their faces they were not what i expected to see they are lighter than ours but they are not white but i noted this soldier he is just like what i expected just like what they said the white man who has been at mexico for some time is like i am sorry for them the girl said they say that montezuma will offer them all up at the temples when he gets them to mexico perhaps they will never get there a man standing next to her said at least unless they enter the town as captives perhaps some of them will stay here why should not our god have his share of victims as well as the war-god of mexico the speaker was a priest who was scowling angrily at the three spaniards who after stopping to look at the carving over the gate of a temple were now moving on again but although roger heard occasional remarks that showed it was the opinion of the inhabitants that montezuma had only allowed these strangers to enter his country for the purpose of destroying them there was no general feeling of hostility to them the satisfaction at the defeat they had inflicted upon Tlascala far outweighing any other feeling after wandering about for some hours the party returned to their quarters where roger gave through malinche to cortez an account of what he had noticed there is nothing new in that cortez said we know that montezuma has done all in his power to prevent us from coming and that now he knows he has wasted his treasures in vain he must feel no good will towards us however we shall be prepared for him but continue your search there may be a change come montezuma may even now be preparing to crush us if so as soon as the people here know it you will see a change in their demeanor the priests are all-powerful here and the devils whom they worship are sure to set them on to do us mischief if they can therefore relax not your watchfulness marina and yourself are the only two among us who understand their language and it is upon you both that we have to depend to shield us from treachery against an open assault i have no fear but in a crowded town like this an attack at night might be fatal cortez had indeed taken the precaution upon his arrival of stating to the nobles that as it would be inconvenient for marina to reside in buildings occupied solely by men he should be glad if one of their wives would receive her as a guest and she was accordingly installed at once in the house of one of the principal nobles some days passed as cortez was waiting for the arrival of a fresh embassy from montezuma during that time roger was unable to detect any change in the attitude of the population the spaniards were greeted courteously when they went abroad and their leaders were entertained at fates and banquets by the nobles roger and his two comrades were well satisfied with each other juan was a taciturn soldier but he was amused at the efforts of pedro and roger to converse i am glad pedro he said on the third day of their making acquaintance with roger that this young fellow has joined if i had had my will i should have said nay when cortez proposed it but it is good for you lad It is well enough for an old soldier like me to toil along all day without speaking under a burning sun and to say but little even over his cup of wine at the end of the march but it is not good for a lad like you you were getting old before your time i could sing a song and dance a measure with the best of them when i was at your age and you see what has come of my campaigning for like yourself "'I took to an old soldier for a comrade. "'This young fellow seems to have a cheerful spirit, "'and when he can talk our language well "'will be a gay companion and will do you good. "'Yes, and do me good too, Pedro. "'You are too apt to get into my moods "'and be silent when I am silent, "'and thus I make you dull while you do not make me bright. "'Only I want to see this young fellow at work "'before I quite give him my heart.' I believe that he will bear himself bravely. It were a shame, indeed, if there should be faint heart in a body of such thews and muscle. Truly he is a stately figure, and has the air of the great noble rather than a rough soldier. But that, I take it, comes from his being brought up among these Mexicans, who, though in most respects ignorant, carry themselves with much dignity, and with a stately and gentlemanly manner." such as one sees in europe chiefly in men of good blood on the evening of the fourth day the embassy arrived from montezuma the emperor had apparently again changed his mind for he expressed his regret at their determination to visit the capital and begged them to relinquish the idea upon leaving cortez the ambassadors had an interview with several of the chief nobles of cholula they left for the capital again in the night the next morning a change was visible in the behavior of the people they no longer visited the spanish quarters but held aloof from them the nobles upon being invited to come to see cortez sent in excuses on the ground of illness or that they were about to undertake a journey or other pretexts and the supply of provisions sent in fell off greatly roger and his comrades also marked a great difference in the manner of the people in the streets. The buzz of talking and laughing was hushed as they approached. People turned away, as if desirous of avoiding the sight of them, the priests regarding them with an insolent air. On one or two occasions they were roughly jostled, and on arriving at the end of a street the people gathered round, and by words and gesture told them to go no farther. Cortez had particularly enjoined in Roger and his companions against embroiling themselves in any way with the people, and they therefore suffered themselves to be turned back without exhibiting any air of concern. But Juan muttered many oaths beneath his moustache, and Roger and Pedro had difficulty in restraining their anger. Cortes looked very grave upon hearing Roger's report on their return. I fear that treachery is intended, he said, and if I did but know it, i would be beforehand with them you had best not go abroad again for it may be their intention to provoke a quarrel by an affray in the streets i will send some of the kempoallans who are with us out they will be less observed and may find out what is going on i think marina said that if we go up to the flat roof we may see something of what is going on this house is more lofty than most cortez with roger and the girl ascended to the roof from it they commanded a considerable prospect on some of the roofs they could make out bodies of men at work but these were too far off to see what they were doing in the evening the kempoalans returned and said that they had come upon barricades erected across several of the streets and that on many of the roofs great stores and beams of timber were piled while they had discovered holes dug in the streets and covered with branches and apparently intended to entrap cavalry a portion of the troops were ordered to remain under arms all night in case of attack but the city remained quiet in the course of the following day some tlascalans came in from their camp and informed cortez they had heard that a great sacrifice of children had been offered up in one of the temples a custom which prevailed whenever an enterprise of a serious nature was about to be undertaken. They said, too, that large numbers of the citizens, with their wives and children, were leaving the town by the various gates. The situation had now become very grave, and Cortez and his officers were at a loss to know what had best be done, as they had still no positive proof that treachery was intended this proof was however furnished by marina next day the wife of the cazique had taken a great fancy to her and urged her to take up her abode altogether at her house hinting that it would be safer for her to do so marina at once pretended that she should be glad to leave the white men who held her in captivity in order that they might use her as an interpreter the cholulan then gave her a full account of the conspiracy It was, she said, the work of the emperor, who had sent rich presents by the ambassadors to the great nobles, and had urged upon them the necessity of making an end of the white intruders. Twenty thousand troops had been marched down to within a short distance of the city, and these were to enter and take part in the assault on the Spaniards. The attack was to be made as these left the city. The streets were to be barricaded, and impediments to prevent the action of the cavalry placed in the way and the spaniards were to be overwhelmed with the missiles from the roofs while the troops would pour out from the houses to the attack some of the spaniards were to be sacrificed at the altars at cholula the rest to be marched in chains to the capital and there put to death this scheme was unfolded to marina in her apartment in the spanish quarters and she appeared to assent to the proposal that she should that night leave the spaniards altogether making an excuse to leave the room for a few minutes marina hastened to cortez and informed him of what she had heard the cazique's wife was at once seized and being in terror of her life she repeated the statements she had made to marina the news was alarming indeed The position of the spaniards in the midst of a hostile city seemed well-nigh hopeless the barricades and pitfalls would paralyze the action of the cavalry and artillery every house would be a fortress and under such difficulties even the bravery of the handful of spaniards would avail but little against the overwhelming force by which they would be attacked before deciding as to the best course to be adopted cortez determined to obtain further confirmation of the story of the cazique's wife he accordingly sent an invitation to two priests who resided in the temple close to his quarters to visit him when they came he received them most courteously but informed them that by the powers he possessed he was perfectly aware that treachery was intended he bestowed upon them some very valuable presents from the gifts he had received from montezuma and promised that none should be aware that he had received any information from them the rich bribes had their effect and the priests confirmed the report marina had heard they said that the emperor had since their arrival been in a state of vacillation constantly consulting the oracles and unable to make up his mind whether to fight them or to receive them with honor he had when he heard that they were going to Cholula, first issued orders that they should be well received, but since then the oracles had again been consulted and had declared that Cholula would be the grave of the white men, for that the gods would assuredly lend their aid in destroying the enemies who had dared to violate the sanctity of the holy city. He had, therefore, ordered the attack to take place in the manner described, and so certain were the Aztecs of success that the manacles to secure the prisoners had already been sent to the city. Cortes dismissed the priests, telling them that he intended to leave the city the following morning, and requested that they would induce the principal nobles engaged in the plot to pay him a visit at once. As soon as the priests had left, he summoned his principal officers and disclosed to them the plot he had discovered there was much difference of opinion between them. Some were in favor of returning at once to the friendly city of Tlascala. Others voted for still advancing, but by the northerly route their allies had recommended. But the majority agreed with their general that their only chance of safety was in taking a bold course, for that retreat would raise the whole country against them and ensure their destruction." when the nobles arrived Cortes rebuked them mildly for their altered conduct and for the failure of supplies and said that the spaniards would no longer be a burden upon the city but would march out on the following morning and requested that they would furnish a body of two thousand men to transport his artillery and baggage as this suited admirably the designs of the natives they at once agreed to furnish the required force upon their leaving cortez had an interview with montezuma's ambassadors who had accompanied him from the coast and told them that he was aware of the treacherous plot to destroy him and his army and that he was grieved to find that this vile act of treachery was instigated by montezuma the ambassadors astounded at what appeared to them the supernatural knowledge of cortez and terrified at the position in which they found themselves made earnest protestations of their entire ignorance of the scheme and declared that they were convinced that the emperor was wholly innocent of it and that it was entirely the act of the cholulans cortez pretended to believe them as he was desirous as long as possible of keeping up a semblance of friendship with montezuma and declared that he was willing to believe that after the friendly messages and gifts the emperor had sent he could not be guilty of such baseness and treachery his anger therefore would be directed chiefly against the cholulans who were guilty not only of foul treachery to himself but of dishonoring the emperor's name by their conduct as soon however as the ambassadors had retired a strong guard was placed over them to prevent them from communicating with the citizens every precaution was taken in case the plans of the enemy should be altered and an attack made during the night. The guns were placed so as to command the approaches. The horses were kept saddled and ready for action. Strong guards were placed, and the troops lay down in their armor. Orders were dispatched to the Tlascalans to hold themselves ready to march into the city in the morning and join the Spaniards. As soon as daylight broke, the troops were under arms. A portion of those with the guns were posted outside the building, so as to sweep the streets. A strong body were told off to guard the three gates of entrance. The rest were drawn up in the great court, which was surrounded partly by buildings, partly by high walls. Soon after the arrangements were completed, the caziques arrived, having with them a body of men even larger than they had agreed to bring. As soon as they entered, Cortez called them to him, and informed him that he was acquainted with all the particulars of the conspiracy he had come to that city upon the invitation of the emperor and had given them no cause of complaint and had left his allies outside the walls under the guise of kindness and hospitality they had prepared a snare to cut off and destroy them the cholulans were astounded it seemed to them useless to deny anything to men who could thus read their thoughts and they confessed that the accusation was true. Cortés raised his hand. A gun gave the signal. A terrible volley was poured into the Cholulans, and the Spaniards then fell upon them with pikes and swords. The unfortunate natives, thus taken by surprise, and penned up like sheeps in the enclosure, scarcely offered any resistance. Some tried to escape through the gateways, but were repulsed by the troops stationed there others strove but in vain to scale the walls and the only survivors of the massacre owed their lives to hiding under the great piles of dead in the meantime the mexicans without being made aware by the heavy firing of the failure of their plan of surprise rushed from the buildings in which they had been stationed and poured up to the assault they were swept down by the discharges of the guns but the places of the slain were rapidly filled and with reckless bravery they pressed up to the Spaniards, although Cortés at the head of his cavalry charged them again and again so as to give the gunners time to reload. The struggle was still proceeding when the Tlascalans entered the gates of the city and, coming up at a run to the scene of conflict, fell upon the rear of the Mexicans. These could no longer resist their terrible opponents, and, breaking their ranks, took refuge in the houses, or fled to the temples. One large body, headed by the priests, made a stand upon the great central Teocalli. There was a tradition among them that, if its stones were removed, the god would pour out an inundation of water to overwhelm his enemies. The Cholulans tore down some of the stones, and when the expected miracle did not take place, were seized with despair. Many shut themselves up in the wooden towers on the platform of the summit and poured down missiles on their foes as they climbed the great staircase, but the darts and arrows fell harmless upon the armor of the Spaniards, and when these gained the platform they snatched up the blazing arrows shot at them and fired the turrets. The Cholulans fought to the last, and either threw themselves over the parapet or perished in the flames. In the meantime many of the wooden houses in the town had caught fire and the flames spread rapidly the spanish cavalry charging through the street trampled the mexicans under foot while the tlascalan allies gratified their long enmity against the cholulans by slaying them without mercy when all resistance had ceased the victors burst into the houses and temples and plundered them of their valuables the sack continued for some hours and then Cortes, at the entreaties of some Cholulan caciques who had been spared at the massacre, and of the Mexican ambassadors, consented to call off his troops, and two of the nobles were allowed to go into the town and to assure the surviving inhabitants that no further harm would be done to them if they would return to their homes. The Spaniards and Tlascalans were drawn up under their respective leaders, The division of the booty offered no difficulties, the mountaineers attached no value to gold or jewels, and were well content with wearing apparel and provisions, while to the share of the Spaniards fell the valuables taken. Cortes had given strict orders that no violence should be offered to the women or children, and his orders had been respected, but many of these and numbers of men had been made prisoners by the Tlascalans to carry away into slavery. Cortes, however, now persuaded them to liberate their captives, and so great was his influence that they acceded to his request. The dead bodies were now collected and carried outside the city by the inhabitants. Cortes, in his letter to the Emperor Charles, says that three thousand were slain, but most contemporary writers put down the number of victims at six thousand and some at even a higher figure order was promptly restored. The inhabitants who had left the town speedily returned, and the people of the neighborhood flocked in with supplies. The markets were reopened, and only the lines of blackened ruins told of the recent strife. The massacre was a terrible one, and is a stain upon the memory of Cortez, who otherwise, throughout the campaign, acted mercifully, strictly prohibiting any plundering or ill-treatment of the natives and punishing all breaches of his orders with great severity the best excuse that can be offered is that in desperate positions desperate measures must be taken that the plot if successful would have resulted in the extermination of the spaniards and that the terrible lesson taught was necessary to ensure the safety of the expedition moreover a considerable portion of those who fell fell in fair fight and, after the action was over, the inhabitants were well treated. It must, too, be taken into consideration that the Spaniards were crusaders as well as discoverers, and that it was their doctrine that all heretics must be treated as enemies of God, and destroyed accordingly. Such was not the doctrine of their church, for as the great historian Bede writes of King Ethelbert, He had learned from the teachers and authors of his salvation that men are to be drawn, not dragged, to heaven. Roger, with his two companions, had formed part of the force stationed outside the gates to resist the attack of the citizens, and he had taken his share in the fierce fighting that went on there. He was not free from the prejudices of his times and the horrible sacrifices of the temples and the narrow escape he himself had had in being offered up as a victim had inspired him with a deep hatred of the religion of the people although against them personally he had no feeling of hostility even in the height of the conflict he felt pity for the men who in their cotton armor rushed so fearlessly to the attack of the iron-clad spaniards armed with their terrible weapons but at the same time he knew that if they were successful the most horrible fate awaited him and his companions and the treacherous plot of which they had so nearly been the victims excited the same feelings in his mind as in that of the spaniards chapter